Diving deep into the Red Sox, it's Red Sox Review. Here's Brian Barrett on WEEI. On one, the pitch. Swing and a drive into the gap in deep left center field. This ball is pounded way back toward the bullpen, and it is gone! Dead ball or not, Arroyo pummels one into the pen, and it's 2-0 Red Sox. All right, that was Will Fleming on the call tonight, the Arroyo home run. Problem was for the Red Sox after that, there was not a lot of offense for this club. So I don't know what the opposite of a moral victory is. I guess a disappointing win, would that be it? I guess that's the opposite of a moral victory, right? And that's what I felt like with this game tonight. And it wasn't starting out that way. I felt really good about where this team was at. I mean, you go to the second inning and you felt like, here they come. The Red Sox are going to come and they're going to go and they're going to put up a crooked number. And they did in the second inning. But then after that, a trend that we've seen all season with this team, they didn't hit. And look, it would be one thing if the Red Sox went into Baltimore tonight and they were 12-8 and on the season. Or they were completely rolling. And they were 13-7. and seven. And they went in there tonight in Baltimore, and they won 3 to nothing, kind of a sleepy effort, if, if you will. And you felt good about it because you know where they're at from a record perspective. But the fact that, the fact that this club has had issues with the offense all season long, and then we get this performance tonight, it's just disappointing. Think about it. The Red Sox did not get a hit from the third inning all the way to the ninth inning. You got a lot of time in between the third and the ninth inning. The Red Sox did nothing offensively. And this continues to be the theme with this team. And the problem right now is this. We keep saying that, well, it's going to get better. The offense is going to get better. Well, when is it going to get better? That's the question I have. How did you feel about this win for the Red Sox tonight? Are you like me? Were you more disappointed? 617-779. 7937 is the number. With you up until midnight, you'll hear from the manager, Alex Corn just a little bit here. But the offense, we thought, okay, yeah, it'll wake up. And I was saying it at the beginning of the year as well. Yeah, I'm not concerned that they're not hitting because they're actually throwing the ball well and they've actually been good defensively. But now I can't do that anymore. We're too far along. And we've seen, and I give the Red Sox credit for this, there's been urgency. They decided today, okay, Travis Shaw, we can't do that anymore. The guy didn't get a single hit. He didn't get a single hit with this team. So you finally had to say, you know what? We need somebody to hit righties, and we need somebody to play first base that can hit righties because Dahlbeck can't hit anything right now. We definitely don't want him in the lineup against righties. So they decide, okay, enough for Travis Shaw. That experiment was failed. He was not good for this team whatsoever. In fact, he was a complete negative. He was bad defensively. Remember, he couldn't catch that pop-up. What was it, a week and a half ago? And then offensively, he's a (laughs) no-show. The guy's a no-contributor whatsoever, a non-contributor whatsoever, I should say. So today, the answer is calling up Franchi Cordero. And look, I don't mind calling up Franchi Cordero. I know Cassis at the moment is struggling. I'd rather it be Cassis, and I expect that it's going to be Cassis long-term at some point this season. But the reality of the situation is right now, they need more help offensively. And at this point, They're not hitting whatsoever. So I can't come away from a game that they win today 3-1 to and feel good about this team heading into the weekend. Now, that was a top-tier prospect in their organization, their third prospect. So, okay, maybe that guy threw the ball well. But the Red Sox, the point is they had him on the ropes, and they failed to deliver to knock out another starting pitcher. And we've basically been seeing this all season long with the Red Sox, is they have not been able to knock these starting pitchers out. In fact, if you look at it on the season, there has only been one pitcher that has given up four earned runs against the Red Sox this season, Corey Kluber. We're now 19 games into the season, whatever it is, and only one pitcher has given up four earned against this team. And the problem right now is this team is getting worse, okay, in terms of the offense, not better. So, yes, great. You got a home run from Arroyo tonight. And Arroyo, by the way, you realize that was the first walk he took all season long? The first one. He's only got one walk of the season. So, big night for Arroyo. Home run, and he takes a walk. But if you look at it, since the start of the Rays series, the Red Sox offense is actually getting worse than it was. 258 on base percentage. That is 27th during that stretch. A 554. OPS, 
27th during that stretch, and a 5% walk rate last. And this, and by the way, swinging at 37.4% of pitches outside of the strike zone, that is the highest rate in all of Major League Baseball. And you really felt like tonight that this team was going to find a way to blow this thing wide open after that second inning, and they didn't do it. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you all the way up until midnight. So a lot more to get into. If you want to weigh in on this, do you come across or do you come away from this game disappointed as a Red Sox fan with their performance against the Baltimore Orioles? That's on the table. And did the Red Sox make the right move getting rid of Travis Shaw and bringing up Franchi Cordero? 617-779-7937, the number. We are with you up until midnight here on EI. This is Red Sox Review on WEEI. All right, welcome back. in. Brian Barrett with you all the way up until midnight. Red Sox Review is sponsored by Nissan. Choose Nissan today for great offers on our most exciting lineup ever. Shop NissanUSA.com. And WEI's coverage of the NFL Draft is presented by D'Angelo Grilled Sandwiches. Interested in owning your own D'Angelo restaurant? Visit D'Angelo's.com backslash franchising for more information. Speaking of the NFL Draft, an update for you. The Patriots just made another pick in the third round. They took Marcus Jones, a cornerback out of Houston, earlier tonight in the second round. They took Tyquan Thornton at pick number 50, a receiver out of Baylor, who ran a 4-2-8-40 at the NFL Combine. And last night they took Cole Strange with the 29th overall pick. So if you do want to react to the Patriots picks, that's on the table tonight as well at 617-779-7937. Before we go any further, though, let's hear from the manager, Alex Cora. Uh, good fastball, good breaking ball. He can pitch. You know, like His pitch ability is off the charts. And, uh, you know, even in the, his previous starts, you know, uh, the homers against uh, Minnesota, but he can, he can maneuver a lineup, you know, and he's going to face a lot of righties. It just happens that today we were, you know, set up this way, and uh, you know, I wasn't gonna take him out in a perfect game. Uh, nah, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, we had Tanner. We were ready for that, and uh, you know, from you know, we we need to get 27 outs, and this is not about uh, individual wins and all that stuff. It's about team wins, and uh, I think pitching wise today was a, a good sign, uh, a good example of that. Was he pleading his case to you, anyone out there? No, no, he, it was it was fun. It was uh, I haven't you know I haven't seen somebody look at me that way in a while. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he understands. That's a good thing about them. Uh, we know where we at. We talk about it before the game, right? Rich, uh, Garrett, Tanner, uh, their ability to do different things, you know, uh, for the pitching staff. And uh, today we were set up this way, and um, I'm glad that we got 27 and we won the game. So assuming Nesson's on a delay, can you tell us what he what he said to you? No, 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 no. How would you describe that look? <laughs> it was uh, intense, but uh, you know, I, I, I bet you know, like he knew where we were coming into the game, knowing that Tanner was here. But at the same time, you get so locked in in what you're doing, right? And you you actually forget, you know, like he he's so intense and he's in the moment and. Uh, you know, I, I understand. That's why I, I, I waited, you know, to go to the mound just to – and he looked and kept looking. I was like, yeah, here we go. Okay, cool. So uh, it is what it is. You know, we got 27 outs, like I said, and, um, you know, we get a chance to win this series tomorrow. You got the home exception. run, too. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, you got exactly. the home run, too. Yeah, we got it. Uh, actually, he put he put some good at-bats yesterday, and uh, it just happened that J.D., we scratch him, and it was a late decision. Um, well, he's a good defensive player. We know that when he's trying to do too much, uh, it doesn't work for him. But uh, today he put, you know, the homer and the, the, there was a 3-2 count. Uh, he struck out there, but he worked the count to 3-2. Then he the walk against Lopez, that was a good sign. And he's a good baseball player. I know yesterday he didn't feel too great about what happened, you know. Um, he makes an error. We lose one nothing, And this is the beauty of baseball, right? You get a chance to redeem yourself. And I'm happy that Christian put a good swing and helped us win the game. Is it a relief to see Bog over the wall for the first time in a week? 
Um, you know what? You guys bring it up. I, 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 I don't think about stuff like that. I just think about quality at bats. And, uh, you know, obviously we hit a few balls hard today. Uh, we're getting better. We're getting better. I know, uh, you know, we're not scoring too many runs, but I think the quality of the bats are a lot better than, than seven days away. Uh, seven days ago. Castle gets the homer, obviously, and then Robles is, and Strom is able able to get out of, of some jams for you. Can you tell me about the final? final uh, yeah, we've been throwing the ball well, and, uh, you know, uh, Hansel has been great for us. It just happened that today he had to grind. Uh, we like the matchup with uh, Santander, and obviously they brought in C, uh, Chris to pinch it for, for um, Odor. You know, we like those matchups, and, you know, right here, as you guys know, there's not a closer. You know, we're trying to get 27 outs as fast as possible with the lead and, uh, you know, Stromy did a good job maneuvering uh, Santander, not giving in, and then he made some good pitches on Owens. I was just going to ask you about the bases loaded strikeout from Howard Tanner as well. Yeah, just kind of what you saw in that moment. And... You know, it's, it was one of them that, you know, they had the righty, um, you know, on the bench, and if we bring Digman right there, they're going to pinch it with him, with him. So we had to be patient, you know, uh, and Tanner made some good pitches on Ruggi, and then after that, he kind of like set up for us, you know, for the two lefties and, and for for Digman, so it's about watching the game and, and a lot of conversations. It's not an easy job, you know. This trying to get 27 outs, but we did today. What do you see from Tanner overall? He did a good job. He did a good job. Right? Threw the ball well, you know. Good stuff. Good fastball. Good slider. Um, with him, like I said, you know, these guys, they it doesn't matter if they start, relieve, whatever. It doesn't matter. They they try to pound the strikes on with great stuff. All right, that was Alex Cora after the game tonight. I respectfully disagree with the. Assessment at Tanner Houck. I do not believe he threw the ball well tonight. I'll tell you why in just a little bit. Plus, if you want to weigh in on the move to bring up Franchi Cordero, get rid of Travis Shaw, do you agree with that move from the Red Sox? Also on the table tonight is, are you disappointed after a win? That's how I feel. I'm disappointed this offense only put up three runs against the Orioles. And if you do want to weigh in on the Red Sox, or excuse me, the Patriots, who have made three draft picks as of now, they just took Marcus Jones, cornerback out of Houston. So they now have Mac Jones and Marcus Jones on the same team. They took uh, Tyquan Thornton, a receiver out of Baylor, in the second round at pick number 50, and they took Cole Strange in the first round last night, the guard from UT Chattanooga. All that on the table at 617-779-7937. Brian Barrett with you on EI up until midnight. Gresh and Keith. On a year after RKK said, you better nail it in the draft. If Bill hits this, then it's going to be, well, I like the player, but I hated where he picked him. And if he missed, then it's going to be, well, RKK was watching. And this would be one that would be scrutinized inside that building differently than, say, taking the Kobe Dean because everybody would have been on board. Did you miss something? Listen to the podcast on the Odyssey app or at WEEI.com. Gresh and Keith, middays 10 to 2 on New England Sports Original. WEEI. WEEI. We're back to Red Sox Review on WEEI. The pitch. Slider called strike three on the outside corner. Painted black. Inning over. Orioles leave him loaded. He went to the slider, and it was perfect. Cora, Vasquez, and Hauker fired up in the third base dugout. Three-nothing Sox. We go to the eighth. All right, Will Fleming on the call as Tanner Houck got out of that jam that... Let's be honest, he created for himself there in the seventh inning. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight, 617-779-7937, the number. What did you make of Tanner Houck's performance tonight? Are you disappointed like me in the win? you got to put up more than three runs against the Baltimore Orioles, especially considering this team was struggling coming into the series. They've got to be better offensively. You can't go from the third inning to the ninth inning without a hit. Bottom line, I mean, it's not good enough right now for this team. We've seen it. This team is supposed to mash. This team is supposed to be built around its offense, and that has been the most disappointing thing about this team. There's other issues right now, but by far the biggest issue right now is they're not hitting enough. Now, I want to get to Tanner Houck for a second here because you look at his raw numbers on the season, and it appears he's having a good year. He came into tonight with what? A 280-70 ERA. But the reality to me is Tanner Houck does not look like the same pitcher on the mound. He does not have the same command, and his stuff has not been as dominant. Now, tonight, I give him credit. 43 swings, or I should say 23 swings, he gets 10 whiffs. That's 43%. If you're above 30%, that's really good. And that's something that Tanner Houck has struggled with this season is getting the same number of swing and misses that he got a year ago. Last year, in terms of how often he was get swings and misses, it was a lot more than this year, right? I mean, you just look at the numbers. Last year, he's at 30.9%. That's really good. 
This year, it's at 21%. So he's not getting the same level of miss when guys actually do offer. And the other problem he's running into right now, Tanner Houck, and we saw this tonight, is the control's not there. So entering tonight, he was throwing first pitch strikes just 50% of the time. That was 158th of the 168 pitchers that have thrown at least 10 innings. Compare that to last year, he was at 60.7%. So he's at 50 now. He was at 60.7 last year. Okay, tonight he did better with that. 8 of 13 in terms of first pitch strikes. You like that, but here's the problem that he ran into tonight. Ball four bit him in the ass again. He is out there for what? Three innings, and he walks three guys. It's not good enough. You look at just how he starts his outing. Slider middle, middle to Urias, and he hits it single. 106 miles an hour off the bat. This is the guy you have down on the count one, two. Tanner Houck has great stuff. You need to put that guy away. Then he gets Nevin to ground into a double play. Great. You're going to get yourself out of the inning. You feel like, all right, first batter, whatever. He got out of it. He gets the double play. This is going to be an easy inning. But then he walks Chirinos on four pitches. The guy's hitting 184. You cannot walk a guy that's hitting 184. Tanner Houck has great stuff. That should be an easy out. Can't get it done. Then he strikes up Mateo great with a fastball up in the zone. He comes back for the sixth. Pretty clean inning there. But then you go to the seventh. You just heard the strikeout where that essentially ended his outing. But before that, Mountcastle singles on an 0-2-4 seamer. This is another issue for Tanner Houck this season. He has not been good when he gets ahead of hitters 0-2. It should be easy for him with that stuff. This season, opponents are hitting 133, or excuse me, 333. 133 would be good. They're hitting 333 on 0-2 counts against Houck. Last year, that was at 119. When Tanner Houck got you down 0-2, he put you away. He's not doing it this year. So anyway, Mountcastle singles, and then he walks Hayes. Another walk. Then he gets Urias on a swinging bunt. He strikes out Nevin. Great. But then he walks Santander. So you're about to get out of the inning. He walks two guys in the bottom of the seventh. Then he strikes out Odor looking to end the inning. And that's the highlight you heard from Will Fleming, that nasty slider. But it's not a great outing overall. And I know we can look at some of these raw numbers and say, oh, yeah, he's having a great season. Look at his ERA. But if you're watching Tanner Houck pitch this year, do you have the same thought that you had last year? Where last year when Tanner Houck came into games, I felt like, all right, he's going to strike out a million guys. He's going to get guys make make guys look stupid at the plate. He's not doing that this year. The strikeouts are way down. He was at 30.5% last year, which is elite. This year he's at 21. Not to mention, I told you the command issues. Last year he's at 7.4% in terms of his walk rate. This year he's at 11.3%. He's walking way too many guys. You can tell he just doesn't have his command all the time. And they got to figure this crap out with Houck. Houck needs to be a major part of this team going forward. You look at the rest of the pitching staff, they need help to be good. Now, we all know he can't pitch in Toronto. We just saw that this past week. So that means when he does actually pitch, when they're not in Toronto, this guy's going to be a major contributor. And right now, he's not even showing you that dominance out of the bullpen like we saw last year. Our question last year about Hulk was the whole idea of, can he go the third time through? And last year, he couldn't. He had an opponent's OPS over 1,400. I get it, small sample size, but he wasn't great the third time through. There's a reason the Red Sox didn't want him to face the lineup the third time through. They were scared because throughout his outing, guys tend to pick him up better later in the game. And tonight, he comes out of the bullpen. What I wanted to see from Tanner Houck is like what we see from Garrett Whitlock. When Garrett Whitlock comes out of the bullpen, last yesterday, I should say, was his worst outing of the season. Not to say it was bad. He gave up one run, but he was not the same pitcher yesterday, Garrett Whitlock. And the Blue Jays had a lot to do with that. I mean, that was complete BS, that crap they were doing. They kept stepping out of the box, and the umpire was grading him time. I feel like Whitlock should have hit one of those guys. Enough's enough. I mean, you cannot put up with that crap. Whitlock should have thrown at one of those guys yesterday. But the overwhelming point about Houck, he should look more like Whitlock. He has the stuff to be able to do it. He's just going to be better in terms of the commands. And I would say this right now with Hulk. Up until this point, I get the raw numbers look good. I would argue that Hulk has regressed this season. He does not look like the same pitcher he was at a season ago. And that's a major disappointment for this team. They need this guy to be good. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. We're back on track now. So if you do want to weigh in. What do you make of Tanner Hugg's outing? Are you with me that it was a bit disappointing? When is this offense going to wake up? Was this a disappointing win tonight? That's how I feel. Maybe you disagree. 617-779-7937, the number. And if you do want to weigh in on Franchi being back and Shaw being DFA, that's on the table as well. We're with you up until midnight here on EI. Diving deep into the Red Sox, it's Red Sox Review. Here's Brian Barrett on WEEI. 
We are with you up until midnight. So just to update you on what's going on with the Patriots, they actually traded out of their second third-round draft pick. They sent it to the Carolina Panthers. Carolina traded up to take Matt Corral, quarterback out of Ole Miss. So the Patriots, in return, will get back the 137th pick, and they do get a Carolina 2023 third-round pick as well. Earlier tonight, 84th overall, they took Marcus Jones, a cornerback, out of Houston. And in the second round, they actually traded up to take Taquan Thornton. He led Baylor with 62 receptions for 948 yards last season, ran a 4-2-8 at the Combine. And then Cole Strange, they took last night in the first round. 617-779-7937, the number. Another thing I just want to mention real briefly here on the Red Sox, they have got to find a way to get Trevor's story going. He's hitting in the leadoff spot right now on the season, a 210 average, 290 on base percentage. And here's the thing, like once in a while you can say, yeah, guys having bad luck. No, the problem right now with Trevor's story is the process is bad. He does not look like the same player that he was in Colorado. If you look at Trevor's story entering tonight, actually still after tonight, 11 hard hit balls. That means off the bat at 95 plus miles an hour. Only 11 of them. And just to put that into context, Rafael Devers leads baseball in that category. But Trevor Story's 11 hard hit balls, that ranks tied for 169th out of 176 qualified hitters. So that is horrific. He's not making loud contact whatsoever. That's a 28.2% hard hit rate. And if you look at him over the last four seasons, this guy hits rockets 18, 46%, 19, 45.8%, 20, 41.3%, 21, 42.6%. He's at 28.2% right now. They've got to find a way to get this guy going because we all know seven through nine, the Red Sox are getting no production. In fact, they're last in OPS. They're last in slugging from batters seven through nine in the order. They have not been getting much of the leadoff spot either. So they need to get that guy going because Verdugo's had a pretty good season. Devers, another hit tonight, two hits tonight. He's getting back on track. Bogarts, we all know, has been red hot. And J.D., was when he's actually in there, has been a contributor. Now, the hopefully they get him back tomorrow, as Alex Cora said after the game. You heard him in the postgame press conference. But really, it's outside of those four guys, nobody's hitting. And Travis Shore is a guy you gave $140 million to. I get it. It's just April. But they got to get this guy going. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's kick it off with David in Florida tonight. David, uh, let me make sure. You're not eating, right? No, Brian. Not eating. Okay. I'm really going to think so. Thanks again. Okay, what's so, going on? I mean, I, I, I agree with you completely. I'm, I'm not encouraged at all by today's win. I'm not. I mean, they, they beat a, a high school a high school JV team, and they did their best to almost blow it in the ninth inning. And yeah, I mean, it was an infuriating game, David. This is the Baltimore Orioles. The Red Sox have an early three to nothing lead. I was thinking, I don't know if you were thinking this too, but I thought they were going to smoke them. I thought this is going to be an easy. The they needed a blowout win, and I thought tonight would be one of those. Nine to one, nine to two, ten to two type games, and they just couldn't hit after the third inning. It was very disappointing. Even when they got their starter out of the game, and look, that kid did have some good stuff. I mean, I'll give him credit. Bradish really did turn things around after that third inning. But you got to their bullpen. Their bullpen sucks, and they did nothing. But that's, but the, and that's my point. That they, that I mean, you got you, you took offense the other day when I called them a bunch of idiots. But, yeah, I mean, that, uh, you, I mean come on, I, that's out of bounds, David. Don't you don't know them personally? Okay. Don't call them idiots. No, it's not personal. Of course, it's not personal. But I don't think they're playing intelligently. I don't think they play the game intelligently. I don't think they they play situationally. They're always the more often than not the swinging for the for the extra base hit. And uh, I mean, if you listen, I didn't see the game today, but I heard it on the radio. And I'm just getting very frustrated when I hear things. Yeah. Oh, he's un- he's unlucky, or he or he or he put a uh, that was a very hard hit ball. What about well placed? You know, well placed balls. What about a single up the middle, a double a double that finds a gap? You know, Wade Boggs was never a power hitter. But uh, I mean, I'd rather hit. I'd rather have Boggs up that with a guy in third in less than two outs than Ortiz. I would. I mean, Ortiz have, is pretty clutch I mean, too, David. That's unfair. I mean, that's a bad example. No, no, it's not. A, no, I. I mean, David Ortiz is already I mean, always a clutch hitter. I mean, that's a that's a stupid example. Wade Boggs, an all time great player too. Like you're you're comparing guys to Wade Boggs. Not many people are going to compare it to Wade Boggs. Because I'm I'm saying that it's not always about. I mean, of course, you have to have a balance in any sport, uh, but uh, I mean, it's not always about 
about hitting the ball hard. It, it's about placing it. It's about hitting it where they aren't. Where they aren't. All right, Dave, I yeah, I, I, I get your clear. point, David. I appreciate the call. This is my bigger issue with the Red Sox. Their approach, the problem right now is they're all the same. They don't have that guy at the top of the order like they had last year after the, the deadline in Schwarber who will grind out at bats, right? They swing at too many pitches early on. And the Red Sox as a team, they're swinging at 33.9% of pitches out of the zone. That's their chase rate, 33.9%. Second worst in Major League Baseball is the Yankees at 31%. So the Red Sox are, what, almost 3% worse than anybody else in the sport when it comes to that. And the problem is it's a systemic thing. It's the entire lineup. That's the issue they have right now. And that's why after the deadline last year, and look, Schwarber got 79 mil. He wasn't going to fit in with this team. But he did bring a different approach to the lineup, and that is sorely missed because the Red Sox, the Red Sox right now, they don't have a batter like that. They don't. Nobody in this lineup has that type of approach. Like Verdugo is a guy that doesn't strike out, but he doesn't walk, right? And so that's the closest thing they have to it. But he's different than the way that Schwarber does things. Schwarber would strike out a lot, but he had a 23% walk rate with the Red Sox. None of the guys on this Red Sox team walk. Even Bogarts, who is great. I'm not criticizing Bogarts. He doesn't walk. Rafael Devers doesn't walk. Kike Hernandez doesn't walk. Trevor Story historically doesn't walk. They don't have anybody in this lineup that does that. Let's get to Wally and Fall River. Hey, Wally. What's up, Brian? Uh, no, we really had a sweat this game out tonight. Uh, like I said, after the third end of the year, I mean, it's not new this season. It seems we uh, we just go in little spurts and then everything dies. But uh, as far as Travis Trout, we knew he was going. But uh, between Frenchie and Dalbeck, I think Frenchie's the lesser of the two evils. At least he didn't strike out tonight. But uh, you, like you said, seven, eight, and nine, you ain't getting nothing. Uh, they're the table table setters for Trevor Story, but he ain't hitting either. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just a, like a, a pop gun offense for all season. We haven't blown nobody's brains out. I mean, uh, first base and right field are power positions. And uh, you, I hate the Yankees, but you look at Rizzo and Judge. What do they got? 16, 17 home runs between them. Is that uh, more than the whole Red Sox team? <laughs> yeah, Rizzo's been red hot. But uh, I don't know what the answer is. You just hope they snap out of it. I mean, you, you, you know, uh, as far as the pitching goes, you know, we've been pitching pretty good. But like I said, you you can't win if you don't score runs. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Wall. I appreciate the phone call, my friend, as always. His line's open if you want to grab it at 617-779-7937, the number. You can live with 7 through 9 not hitting if you got production at the leadoff spot. Right now, you're not getting that from Trevor Story. You are not getting that from Kike Hernandez. Those two guys need to get going. That's not debatable. Those two guys in particular need to get going. I can talk to, uh, to you all night about 7 through 9. I don't see that being something that is fixed overnight. Those guys, Kike Hernandez and Trevor Story, I put it more on them than I put in the bottom of the lineup. I didn't have high expectations for those guys at the back end with Vasquez, and Vasquez had a hit tonight, but I didn't have high expectations for Jackie Bradley Jr., and I feel like out of those guys in the bottom of the order, he's been the best one because at least he's bringing you plus defense as well. He's tied for first in baseball for defensive run saves for a right fielder, so he's at least bringing you defense. Dahlbeck is a bad defensive player. Vasquez is not a great defensive player either. He will throw his guys out. He's really good at that. But he doesn't call a great game. So really, the only guy in the bottom of the lineup that is bringing something to the table is Jackie Bradley Jr. And it's really, to me, okay, so let's say you had three holes in the lineup. And look, Franchi's going to get an opportunity if he doesn't produce. Eventually, that's going to be Tristan Cassis. So he basically has an extended tryout, and then they'll bring up Cassis after if Franchi proves he can't do it because the reality is they need a bat at that position right now. They need to have some production out of first base. That, to Wally's point, that is an offensive position. But here's if you look at it right now. The Sox OPS by position. Catcher, 439-26. First base, 357-30. That's just not good enough. It's the American League. And it's the American League East in particular. Your first baseman needs to hit. Right field, 493-25. And like I said, at least you're getting defense there. Second base, this is the most disappointing one, 483, 23rd. Center field, 610, 18th. It's Kike Hernandez and Trevor Story. Like, I'm, t- and look, I've done it a lot too. I'm tired of complaining about Dahlback and Vasquez, and I don't even really complain about Jackie. I feel like Jackie's had a fine season for what your expectations were. I'm sick and tired of complaining about those guys. It's time for Trevor Story and Kike Hernandez to hit. I mean, enough's enough. These guys have got to produce. And Trevor Story, quite frankly, I don't believe he's been great defensively either, do you? And I get he's learning a new position and all that, but he's had some sloppy plays out there. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you all the way up until midnight. So, 
Are you disappointed after a win tonight? I certainly am. If you disagree, certainly welcome to weigh in. And Tanner Houck, what have you made of Tanner Houck so far this season? That's on the table as well. 617-779-7937, the number. With you up until midnight here on EEI. Your home of the Sox. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. And trending now is brought to you by Kubota Tractor. Okay, let's update you on the NFL draft. The Patriots traded up to take Baylor receiver Taquan Thornton in the second round tonight at 50. He led Baylor with 62 receptions for 948 yards. He averaged 15.3 yards per reception. They also picked Marcus Jones with the 84th overall pick. He's a cornerback out of Houston. The Patriots then traded the 94th pick to the Panthers. The Panthers took Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral. The Pats will get back the 137th pick and a 2023 third rounder in return. And of course, last night, the pick that caused a lot of controversy. The Pats took Cole Strange, an offensive guard from UT Chattanooga. That was the 29th overall selection. The Sox beat the O's 3-1 in the opening game of their three-game set. Rich Hill, four-plus innings, striking out four. Christian Arroyo had his first home run of the year. The Sox and the O's will play the second of the three-game set Saturday night in Baltimore. 7.05 first pitch across the Shaws and Star Market, WEI Red Sox Network. Tune into the Visit Massachusetts pregame show tomorrow at 6.05. It's sponsored by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. Make Massachusetts yours. Start your adventure at visitma.com. Nate Evaldi on the mound in that one opposite Spencer Watkins. All right, well, the Bees fell to the Leafs 5-2 to tonight. That was their final game of the regular season. That means the Black and Gold will get the Carolina Hurricanes in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Bees 0-3 against Carolina during the regular season. This season, the Bucks open up their second-round series Sunday at the Garden, 1 o'clock tip. Elsewhere, Joel Embiid out indefinitely for the 76ers with a right orbital bone fracture. Philly's going to play Miami in the second round. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. WEI, New England Sports Original. This is Red Sox Review on WEI. All right, and we are with you up until midnight. Bottom line right now for this team, Tanner Houck is going to be better, and Trevor Story is going to be better. They need Trevor Story to give them something offensively. He has been a negative player on the offensive side of things. 224 right now, 308, 293 slugging percent. Think about that, 293, a 601 OPS. This is a guy that's been a really good player in his career. Career 858 OPS guy, 271 average. So he's been a really good player throughout his career. They need to find a way to get him going. The most disappointing thing is, and look, we knew when the Red Sox signed him, he was a big-time strikeout guy, but it's getting ridiculous right now. 23.4% 23.4% strikeout rate last season, which is high. This year, 29.2%. 29.2. Not making loud contact, swinging and missing way too often. they got to get this guy going. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Mike. Mike's in Connecticut. Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Good. I was wondering, can the Patriots draft Frenchie Cordero? Dahlback, Bradley, <laughs> can they draft them players? <laughs> I mean, Brian, you're, you're, and you know I love you. Hey, I think Bradley guy. may be good. I think Bradley may be good. That guy is an incredible athlete. You see the way he chases balls out there? I think he could be a good no. football player. Yeah, that's what I'm about, Brian. And I hate to say I'm right because, believe me, I'd rather been nothing but wrong. I told you a story was a terrible signing, and it, it's showing. And I mean, look, I'm not going to say that yet. We're early. We're early. Team, Brian. We're early no, on this, Brian, though. He, okay, I'm gonna. I don't even want to argue with him. I just want to give you a couple. Give me a couple extra minutes, sorry, if you could, because okay. Uh, before we get into Hein Bloom, is that guy from Florida really a Red Sox fan? I mean, David, oh, David? is probably the greatest clutch hitter in baseball history. Yeah. Never mind, just the Red well, Sox. Well, Mike, for, two oh. things to that. First of all, David, he likes to play the troll a little bit, and he wants oh, to trade okay. Rafael. He wants to trade Rafael Devers. I mean, that's a big thing yeah, with him. Jones, so he likes to troll a little bit. Okay. But the other I thing is you. this. The other thing is this, Mike, his point yeah. about comparing somebody to be as good as Wade Boggs is in the clutch is no, ridiculous to begin with. Right. No, I mean, look, Ortiz, right. and like, I don't even know what he was trying to, his point there was like, right. Ortiz, a great clutch hitter. Like use a different example if that's the point you're trying to make. And that's if you're going to try to compare somebody on this Red Sox team to Wade Boggs, I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. Yeah. No, but let's, let's, Brian. Let's get to bloom a little. Okay. And, and, and hear me out and hear me out a little. All right. And you know, he could always charm in. Yes, 
he did a great job. You know, he got Whitlock. You know, that wasn't a bad trade. You know, he got rid of Workman. He got Pavetta, you know. And I don't know what's going on with those other guys he got from the trade. But, Ryan, here's the bottom line. He got rid of one of the best players in baseball. And all he got back is, I'll give Verdugo a good player. He's a 275, 15, 80. That's all he's ever going to be. I well, to Mike, hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, though. Two things on that. First of all, I don't put that on Bloom. I put that more on ownership. And secondarily, this is where I will blame blame Bloom and maybe whoever's in the medical staff of the Red Sox. There's no reason they shouldn't have taken Gratterall. Clearly, that guy's healthy enough. He's right. throwing 102 for the yes. Dodgers, okay? So that was Thank the big mess up with that. that. Yes, Gratterall should be here. And think about the bullpen, yeah. Mike. That's been a massive issue for a couple of years now. Cora was able to patch it together in the postseason last year, but imagine having a guy that can throw 102 out of your bullpen. Right. That'd be pretty good. Brian, you know and I know, for them, the last two drafts, they took two win fields. That tells you they have no faith in down. So basically... They really got nothing for bets. Is that fair? No, Verdugo's a, a good player. Caliber. Uh, oh, uh, now, and what about? I don't. The, I wouldn't say the they got nothing, trade. Mike. I think Verdugo's a good player. Who knows? I would I give Wong. Good... Yeah, I would give Wong more of a chance. Quite frankly, because I don't think Vasquez is that good. I believe he's regressed not only offensively oh, but you, defensively. You can bring Wong up tomorrow. You know me on that. Yeah. But as far as I'm and Brian, this Frenchie Cordero. Nothing changed. All I heard for an hour, he's more patient than that. Somebody, somebody said he swung at me before the pitcher threw the ball today. I don't even know. Please, Brian, enough for Frenchie Cordero. Yeah, and look. Benintendi's probably going to lead the league at hidden. Now, where is these other – Brian, you follow everything more than me. Yeah, they got Winkowski, the kid down in AAA, is throwing the ball well. Winkowski's yeah. throwing the ball well in AAA. You could see him this year. Okay, so he came into Benintendi. Now, is Benintendi – He's going to be a free agent after this year, right? Benintendi, I believe this is his final year. But if you look at Benintendi, too, and I'm not going to give you the numbers, but just... Uh, right, he's having a hell of a year. No, no, he is. But if you look at, like, his actual average with his expected average, like, his numbers are going to come back to earth pretty soon. He's not making okay. the contact the contact that would produce that type of adding average. One more question for you, and then I'm going to hang up. Okay. How long do you think... And I appreciate giving me extra time. How long, and the Celtics will beat the Bucks. but how long, <laughs> and Brian, I'm going to give you, I don't know if you gamble. But I do, I, occasionally, yes. Time. I'm not like Mutt, but I do. Okay, well, much like me, we're degenerates. But anyways, <laughs> you you, you got to bet the Bruins, Brian. I'm telling you right now, they're going to be a pretty good dog, and they're going to beat Carolina. Everything right. points to it. All right, Mike. Appreciate the call, my friend. Bridget Prue, she's the employee, congratulations, employee of the week here at WEI. You agree? Put the money on the bees? You're the hockey expert. On the bees in game one? He's got the bees for the series. Says put some money on the bees. Yeah, I guess go for it. All right. All right. Money's coming in on the bees. Mike in Connecticut says so. Bridget says so. Let's get to Paul. Paul's in Boston tonight. What's up, Paul? Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm working like you tonight. Oh, uh, I nice. Really enjoy your sh- I really enjoy your show, but I'll tell you, I've been you know, a long-time Red Sox fan. I go back to Ted Williams in the 50s and 60s, but uh, they have to admit, this team, um, they're hard to watch this year. Uh, yeah. I know it's, it's so early, but... Um, Couple of questions uh, on the pitching and the relief pitching. What happened to uh, Dowinson and Taylor? Those two guys. Taylor's making his way back. He was dealing with a back injury to begin the season. Same thing that was bothering him last year. So he had an outing the other day in the minor league. So hopefully they get him back in the next couple of weeks here because they need him. They certainly could use him. And look, he couldn't throw the ball against righties last year. They hit over 300 against him, but he was really good against lefties. Had, what, 26 straight scoreless appearances. I'm with you. They could certainly use him. And then, oh, the other one, Darwinson. Darwinson is in the minor leagues. They're stretching him out in AAA. He's pitching about three to four innings per outing right now. They want him to work on his command. And look, I don't blame him for that. Enough is enough with that guy. He was walking 17% of batters last season. So until he proves that he has better command at the minor league level, I don't blame them for not having him up here. That guy was a nightmare. What happened and how long, how much long before Chris Sale's back? Sometime in June. Sometime, yeah, that's a, uh, wow. Well, 
that's that's going to hurt a little. Yeah, and it the it really did that, screw this team up. I mean, it really did. Oh, it definitely, definitely. And the other thing, uh, I know that the Sox food in Baltimore this year. What happened to uh, the couple of their players, uh, Jones and uh, Jones? Uh, I mean, Chris Davis. Oh, Chris Davis retired. Retired. Who was yeah, the other was one? Good. I mean, then he went down. He he digressed. And what about um, uh, Adam Jones? Is that his name? Yeah, he's done he's too. I think he was like playing over in Japan for a little bit, but yeah, he's done. He was yeah, a great player. Two, one time they were great players. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And then Paul, I appreciate the call, my friend. But with the Adam Jones situation, that just—I mean—he faded. And Chris Davis, man, that guy hit. Didn't he hit forty bombs one year? I believe he had forty bombs. That guy, and then he got paid. And after he got paid, that guy was absolutely atrocious. But yeah, they finally got rid of his. Like he's finally done. He retired. But they, remember, he's just like on the team, and he sucked for so long. Oh my God, yeah, he was absolutely atrocious. You look at his last couple of years. Twenty twenty was his last year. He hit one fifteen. 2019, he hit 179. <laughs> the guy got paid, too. Think about this. His final year in 2020 with the Orioles, he had a 164 on base percentage, and he was making $23 million. That has got, like, there's been a lot of bad contracts in terms of the long-term things, but this has got to be in the conversation. I'm glad he brought that up. This has got to be in the conversation of the worst contract in the history of Major League Baseball. <laughs> the year before that, he's making 23 mil. He hit 179. 23 mil the year before that. He's hitting 168. I mean, my God, this guy absolutely sucked after he got that contract. How about this number? In 2019, he had a 39.5% strikeout rate. He struck out almost 40% of the time. Think about that. Unreal. Let's get to Alex in Connecticut. Alex, what's up, my friend? Yeah. Hey, Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'd, uh, I'd be doing better if they put up like eight runs tonight, though, Alex. I'll tell you that. Oh, God. I mean, that's well. First of all, let me just say my money's already on the, on the Bruins. So, um, oh, nice. I'm, I'm there on the Bruins. Yeah, I'm 100%. I, I, no doubt. And I, I, I mean that. I got more. I, I, I haven't even bet the Celtics yet. I'm, I'm, I'm more nervous of betting them. And I don't think I will bet them because I don't want to jinx them. Well, I do that I, now, though, Alex, if you're going to do that, because I feel like you're only going to get the lines only going to be worse because of the fact that the money's going to be coming in on the seas without Middleton for the Bucks. So I'd get in on that early if you're going to get in on that. Um, <laughs> you're probably right. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going with the, uh, with the piece, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I hate that harp on a thing. You know how I feel about, I'm not a bloom lover. And this uh, this Trevor story, that's why the other day... Wait, you know, whoa, I, whoa, like, whoa, 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 Alex. You're not a Bloom lover. I thought you were the biggest Bloom guy out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that, I hate that team and uh, because they're so smug. And uh, I really thought that, okay, maybe, you know, he just... Uh, they keep rolling down there. They, they never have a problem pulling out a pitcher. We have problems with pitching. They never seem to have a problem. And I thought that we got the guy that was the... You know, was the evaluator, and you know he was the guy. And when you think about it, his two biggest signings, his most expensive signings, have been uh, Trevor Story for 140 million, and uh, his next guy was was uh, Matt Barnes, 18 and three quarter million. Now he's still got a like. I, I I wish Matt Barnes would come around, but he owns Matt Barnes. He signed him for the two years. I didn't sign him. He signed him, and he signed Story, who at times, you know, I know he's in second base, but. And I know that the other day I was sounding, you know, uh, uh, you know a bit of a jerk because I was saying, you know, what's the got a statute of limitations because, you know, short spring training, he had a kid, he got sick. He's, just, yeah. he's uncomfortable in second. He, he started throwing the ball. He's had, a, a, I know, five throws that really, I think, you know, cost us. And, you know, I started thinking, is this going to be a Chuck Knobloch type field with that? But I'm hoping he doesn't end up like an Adrian Gonzalez, that he just doesn't fit in with this team. And then because he was only brought in here as a, as a cost cutting, you know, measure because of, uh, you know, uh, a Bogarts. And, and that is, I do. I think right that there. Alex, I certainly think that is a large part of it, but I also do believe they didn't have a second baseman. I mean, Arroyo is not an everyday player. So I don't, I believe they needed a second baseman to begin with. So I think that's part of it too. It wasn't just the Bogarts thing. That is a large portion of it. But I also do believe part of it is um, the fact that they didn't want to play Arroyo at second base every day. He's not good enough. I mean, let's—I know he hit a home run tonight, but he's not good enough to play second base every day. So I felt like that was part of the equation as well. The other thing I mentioned just real quickly about your pitching thing that you brought up with Tampa Bay, 
This is what I don't yeah. understand. This is one of the things I really don't understand and comprehend about Bloom. When he was in Tampa Bay, you mentioned it, they've always had a great bullpen. They've had a great bullpen since he left. Here's what I don't understand. If he is somebody that values the importance of the bullpen like they did in Tampa, why didn't he, when he actually has a financial advantage now, why didn't he go out there in free agency and sign any of the top-tier guys, Rysel Iglesias, Ryan Tapera, Kendall Graveman, Colin McHugh, a guy they had here in 2020, but Colin McHugh had to opt, or he decided to opt out because of the COVID situation. So those are four guys that were out there, not to mention the Kenley Jansons of the world. All the, the reliever market, it's the most stacked reliever market I can remember in recent history in Major League Baseball. All the good relievers out there. That's what I really don't understand why he didn't go after one of those guys. It's a great question. Uh, it's a great question to put to him. I and mean, we've had an opportunity to, to sign players that we have, you know, homegrown and, and put those away. And then he could have worked on second base or worked on getting somebody, you know, uh, for the for home plate or especially first base. We, we've got so many holes now to, to, to plug in. And, you know, like the caller said before, the other day, I, I was, you know, upset because, and I was telling us, we had a, we gave this guy a golden glove outfield. That attendee, you know, and, and we had Bradley and we had in the, the bets. And I understand what you're saying about bets. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just his job to sit there and say, hey, listen, guys, you know, he's he's the one that's got to try and keep that guy. We, we Can you imagine? Yeah, that but Alex, I think that was more. Guys? Oh, but hold on, Alex. I think that was more of when he got here, ownership said, hey, we got to trade him. I, I don't think that was Bloom's decision to trade him. I believe that was an ownership edict. Yeah, well, then it's his. Well, it's it's his job to try and show them that we did need to keep him, just like we should keep we should keep Xander and keep Devers. But instead, we're going to go along with uh, Trevor's story. And if this guy turns out like an Adrian Gonzalez or or like uh, Pablo, you know Sandoval. I mean, you know, I'm reading in the paper the other day that you know in the middle of the game he's now switching his agent. When did he do that? In the middle of the game on his on his laptop? Yeah, he, I know. He just I mean, did that like a couple of days. On, it's man. really strange, too, because he just signed a contract, and now he's switching agents. I don't really understand why he did he that. It's a good point. Awesome enemy. Well, why are we even discussing that? Why is that even up? But what, what's really strange is the guy's doing it in the middle of the game? You know, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I, I don't I don't know where this, this guy's head is at. And, you know, I, look. Thank God we've got the Celtics and we got the Bruins. Uh, you know, I'm you know last night there was a little bit of a. I'm still scratching my head about Bill Belichick or whatever. So, um, but look, I, I appreciate you giving me the extra time and all. So, can only, all we can do is just support these guys. And you know, I wish they'd just be a little bit more fun to watch. I really thought we were going to have a blowout tonight. It's going to, you know, I said the kids, this is not such a great team, and. You know, maybe we're going to, you know, we're going to score, you know, uh, eight, nine, ten runs tonight, and it just never happened. Well, yeah, and that was, Alex, I appreciate the call. That was an infuriating game tonight because I'm with you. I thought this is going to be an absolute blowout for the Red Sox after they take that early three to nothing lead, and then they do nothing after that offensively. That That's what really irritates you, and then you have to sweat it out in the ninth inning. How long was that ninth inning? It's like a 30-minute inning, for God's sakes. You don't add anything in the top half of the inning. And then they bring in Hansel Robles, who has been really good for this team, but I feel like he's been playing with fire a lot. I'll tell you why in a second here. But Hansel Robles can't get out of that inning. you got to bring Strom in to end it. But it, you should never be in that position. Robles gives up the bomb, of course. But now you look at it with Robles. He has been really good for this team, okay? But if you look at it on the season, those numbers are going to go in the other direction very soon. Robles on the season... <laughs> has a 65.2% hard hit rate. That means balls that come off the bat 95-plus miles an hour. That ranks 227th out of 229 qualified relievers in Major League Baseball. There are two relievers in baseball that are worse than Hansel Robles in that category. You know who they are? Ryan Brazier and Cutter Crawford. So the three guys with the highest hit rate in Major League Baseball out of the bullpen are all in the Red Sox bullpen, okay? And the Robles thing tonight, he did not look comfortable whatsoever. He did not look confident. And you saw what Vasquez was doing there in that ninth inning. He had to keep calling. He went to the slider because he did not have his fastball. And I should say this. He definitely he had his fastball. It wasn't his good fastball. And he didn't have any confidence in his fastball. So they had to just go up there and start throwing sliders, which is a concern because if you think about it, really outside of Strom, 
and Whitlock, Robles, well, I would say Whitlock's been your best reliever, and your second best reliever has been Robles, even though some of his numbers are deceiving, and I don't believe he's going to hold up the way he's been holding up this season based on some of this other stuff that I'm giving you right now. But it's really those three guys and Strom. I mean, those two guys and Strom that'll be good. And the other thing I want to mention real quickly here about Whitlock is I cannot believe how poorly they managed this situation this week. So I know he was great last Saturday against the Rays where he gives you 12 outs and 48 pitches, right? I mean, the guy was tremendous, and the Red Sox should have won that game. Remember, they got no hit by the Rays' bullpen, and then you have that misplay by Story and Dahl back there in the 10th inning. Should have won that game. you got to win the games to Garrett Whitlock pitches. But then you have a series against the Toronto Blue Jays, the best team in the division right now, one of the favorites to win the World Series. In fact, the favorite to come out of the American League. Dodgers the favorite to win the whole thing. But the favorite in the American League. You play three games against them, and you lose the first two, you win the third one, and you lose the fourth one, the game that he pitched. He only pitched three innings. So he's the best pitcher on this staff, whether it be starter, whether it be reliever. He is the Red Sox best pitcher. You saved him to pitch three innings on Thursday in a game that you lost. And look, they easily could have won. They only they didn't score a run in that game. But how is that the best use of Garrett Whitlock? I was fine with him starting on Thursday. Fine with it. But if he's going to start, let him pitch more. The guy pitched three innings. You're in Toronto. You easily should have split that series at the very least. I mean, you should have won on Tuesday. You could have won on Monday if you didn't pull a Valdi too early. And that's on Will Renicky, Will Venable, a.k.a. Will Renicky. I mean, that was a horrible decision to pull him out of that game. And I know exactly what happened. They had it planned out. He said it. They had this pocket for Matt Strong. But the difference between Cora and Will Venable, and look, I, I don't want to criticize Will Venable too much because he's not supposed to be in that position, right? He was replacing Alex Cora for, what, those six games? But the reason I bring it up is very simple. Will Venable had the scouting report and the game plan given to him by the front office slash Alex Cora, whoever did it. He was talking to Cora every day. But the difference is when Cora is there, he can feel the situation and realize, oh, Nate's only at 78 pitches. That's the fewest he's thrown all season long. He should go back out there. And instead, Will Venable's going with the book. So they could have won that game. They definitely should have won the game on Tuesday. I mean, that was atrocious. And then they have an opportunity to win yesterday. Garrett Whitlock only gives you three innings, and they don't score a damn run. I mean, that's the issue they had in that series. I mean, it was embarrassing. It was a horrible series. And Whitlock was basically, if you really think about it, Whitlock was a non-factor in the series against the best team in the American League. And it's not because of him. It's because of the way they used him. I don't blame Whitlock at all. He was fine in that game. He was certainly not his best. He should have thrown at one of those guys, for God's sakes. Stop stepping out of the damn box. I mean, that something. They, the umpire kept granting those guys time. Next time that happens to Whitlock, because now teams are going to do it because they've seen what the Blue Jays did. It kind of got under his skin. Next time that ha- happens, Whitlock needs to beam a guy. And quite frankly, if Whitlock did that yesterday, maybe it would have motivated this, this team. Maybe that's what they needed. Whitlock beams a guy. And all those guys are going to stick up for Whitlock. He's their guy. He's their best pitcher. Maybe that would have got the Red Sox going. I hope he beams those guys if they do that next time they play the Blue Jays. That crap shouldn't be able to be tolerated. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. If you do want to weigh in on the Red Sox, are you disappointed after this win like I am? What have you made of Tanner Houck so far this season? All that on the table, but... Up next, I do want to give you my take on this Celtic series. I believe they win easily. I'll tell you why next. Plus, Patriots make a controversial draft pick. We'll get to that next as well here on EEI. We're back to Red Sox Review on WEEI. Uh, was Cole Strange the top player on your board there at pick number 29? Uh, yeah, I feel like that was a good, um, you know, like that guy fits well, uh, Cole fits well into our our team and our system, and um, you know, obviously, I think he's a good player. All right, so that was Bill Belichick last night after the pick of Cole Strange. What have you made of the Patriots draft so far? 617-779-7937 is the number. So this is the interesting thing to me about this whole situation. I am just so confused and perplexed about what Bill thinks about guards. So I go back to a couple of years ago. If you remember the final year, or I should say the only year of Cam Newton, the first post-Brady year, if you will, they franchise tag Joe Tooney, which is like, why are you franchising a guard? You don't trade him, and then you don't bring him back. So you have an elite guard in the game, and you essentially kept him here under the franchise tag on a team that wasn't good at all. 
the Cam Newton Patriots went seven and nine. So that feels like just from a value standpoint, that's a waste. Okay, and then he goes off and he signs that big deal with the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's when you think you're going to be competitive again with Mac Jones, right? And look, to the Patriots' credit, they made the playoffs in Mac Jones' rookie year. We all know the season did not end on a high note, but it would feel like you would rather have Joe Tooney here last year than the year prior to that. So I just don't understand why. If they were not going to sign Joe Tooney long-term, which clearly that was not the plan, I just can't comprehend why they didn't move on from him. What was the point of Joe Tooney playing here in 2020 on a bad team? Then I look at the Shaq Mason situation. This is the one that's really perplexing to me. Why did they trade Shaq Mason for just a fifth-round pick? Because you did that, you needed to draft a guard in the first round. So I just don't really understand how Bill evaluates, or I should say values, that position. So this year, Mason's getting $7.3 million against the cap and then $8.5 million against the cap. So wouldn't it have just behooved the Patriots to keep him here? Shaq Mason, remember, he was the highest-rated player on the Patriots, courtesy of Pro Football Focus. I'm not telling you the Pro Football Focus is the be-all, end-all, but everybody across the NFL thinks Shaq Mason is a good player. There's a reason the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Super Bowl contenders, won the Super Bowl two years ago, wanted Shaq Mason because he's a really good player. So I just don't understand the value in this. Cole Strange may turn out to be a really good player. I just don't understand when essentially the prediction is that he's going to go somewhere in the third round. Why are you drafting that guy 29th overall? He may turn out to be really good. I'm not diminishing that. I'm not saying it cannot happen. But I just look at this from a pure value standpoint. And it just feels like there was not value in taking this guy 29th overall. And the other thing I mentioned as well as it pertains to this draft is the selection to take Juan Thornton. I actually like this pick a lot because of the fact I felt going into the draft, the Patriots needed to go out there and get a receiver. Now, it's not the guy that I would have taken, but the more and more you look into this, it does make sense. He ran a 4-2-8-40. The Patriots clearly lack speed on the offensive side. The Nelson Aguilar situation is not going to work out. So I actually like them taking a shot on a guy with speed. But again, it comes back to this with me. And by the way, 15.3 yards per reception. So he gets downfield. Had a really good year. 10 touchdowns last season. But again, this comes back to that word, value. Bill has always been big on the value. You could have waited to get this guy. He was projected to be a late third, fourth round pick. So that's what just is confusing to me about this whole draft. I like a lot of the moves they made in principle. I like the Thornton pick. I like the fact that they got a receiver in the second round. I like the fact that they added a young receiver to this team. They needed that. But it just feels like you overdrafted these guys. Why did you do it way above where these guys were originally projected to go? That is, to me, like the stunning and the confusing part about this whole process. I really like the Thornton pick in a vacuum, so to speak. I just feel like, well, you could have moved down and got that later. Like, why did he overvalue these guys? Then they took Marcus Jones with the 84th pick, a cornerback, which clearly that became a need. But why did that become a need? See, this is my whole thing about not just the Marcus Jones pick in the third round, but the Cole Strange pick in the first round. It felt like what we've seen in the first three rounds of the draft. The Patriots are plugging holes that they themselves created, right? Like, okay, they need receivers because they didn't hit on Nikhil Harry in 2019. But you didn't purposely miss on Nikhil Harry. You just missed on him. But with these two things, you had good players. Shaq Mason is an elite guard in the NFL. I don't know why I said the NFL. It's not like he plays in college. He's an elite guard. J.C. Jackson was one of the best cornerbacks in the entire NFL. So you had an elite corner, and you had an elite guard, and what did you do? You gave him ball. You traded him, or in this case of Jackson, you let him go in free agency, and you willingly traded Shaq Mason. So this is what I just don't understand. Like the two out of your first three picks are picks that you needed to address because you got rid of guys that were elite at that position. That's what I just don't understand about this whole process as it pertains to the offseason whatsoever. I really like the Thornton pick. I think he's going to be a good player. The guy's got a ton of speed. They can find some ways to use him. That's something that this team was clearly lacking offensively. Bourne is really good after the catch, but he's not a burner. Jacoby Myers, we all know, is not a burner. Aguilar essentially gave this team nothing last year. So you didn't have a legitimate bona fide burner. So I like the idea of bringing Thornton in here.
But the other two picks, and look, Strange may turn out to be really good. Marcus Jones may turn out to be really good. But I just don't understand the process behind the picks. And by the process behind the picks, I mean the way you treated the offseason. It just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Uh, real quickly on the Celtics before we leave for the night, this Chris Middleton thing is just massive. Absolutely catastrophic for the Bucs. He's not going to play in the series at all. I think the Celtics win this. I don't think. Uh, my prediction is that they win this series in five games. I know maybe you give them six games because they're the reigning defending champs. I just don't believe the Bucs are going to have enough offensively. Giannis is a great player. I'm not disputing that whatsoever. But taking Middleton out of that lineup, that's a big, big thing that the Bucs are going to be without. He's their second leading scorer. Last year in the postseason, he played the most minutes for that team. He is their second best play creator, if you will, or third. I mean, whether or not you want to put Holiday in front of Chris Middleton. But now you're replacing 20 points a game. They don't have enough offensively to be able to make up for that. And what happens when a guy like Middleton is out, who's a high usage player, that means Holiday and Giannis have to do even more, right? And now when one of those guys goes to the bench, you only got one of your stars. You're only going to have Giannis out there when Holiday is out of the game, not Giannis and Middleton, or not Middleton and Holiday when Giannis is out. So this is just way too much to overcome. It would be essentially like what we saw with the Celtics in the first round last year when they didn't have Jalen Brown. You can't overcome not being with one of your star players. So I believe the Celtics, especially with their defensive scheme, the way they switch everything, they are going to tire out Drew Holiday. They may not tire out Giannis. They will tire out Drew Holiday because there's going to be way too much ass of him offensively and then cover Tatum. The Bucks are in trouble. All right, thanks to Bridget Prue and Will for producing. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe and be well. W-E-E-I. I want you to call W-E-E-I radio and scream. New England sports are original.